Just before we get started, we would like to say that there is a trigger warning that comes along with this podcast and hanging out with the Stigma Biddies. There will be conversations around mental health and around chronic illness, and there will be topics of conversation that may be triggering and may be hard to be a part of. to encompass that much hate in their being 
towards a child is just, it's mind-blowing to me. It's absolutely mind-blowing. And was that the first moment that you, you realized that mental health was a thing, that your mental health was different than your physical health? I would say that that realization didn't come until I was probably in my preteens. And mm-hmm. I can't even honestly tell you the age, maybe 12 or 13-ish. Um, simply because that was just, we grew up around violence. And that was obviously more extreme for that to be my first true, you know, memory around it. And I'd say now it's more looking back, knowing that that is where my mental health started to turn Mm -hmm. um, versus in the moment. It was just scary and confusing. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So for you, that was when you can identify the the downward spiral of your mental health and and your problems with mental health beginning. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I can't exactly think of a memory like that, but similarly, I dealt with abuse and neglect in my childhood. I do, I was in the foster care system. And so that was my first introduction to what mental health is, is through forced therapy And I don't quite remember much, and I know that it ended very quickly after we were returned to our family. And then, again, sort of like you said, once I was 15, that was when it was actually introduced to me. I had a group of friends, and one of our best friends had passed from cancer. And the school brought in a grief counselor, and I didn't really know what that was until that point. And that's when I was finally able to learn about what mental health was. And from there, I kind of always knew, but it wasn't until I was much older and my sister was taking responsibility for her mental health that I really understood what mental health was. Right. I would say that's probably similar towards, you know, like having somebody else in your life take care of themselves (laughs) simply just because that wasn't a priority, even physical health just wasn't a priority Uh in our families. And, you know, we, we've joked about it for years growing up, but you know, something would happen to us. I have many scars that needed stitches or needed attention or whatever, but it was put some rubbing alcohol on it. You'll be fine. Yep. So it's that lack thereof and not only needing, but wanting that support. Yeah. And that's inherently something that humans want. I mean, we talked about this recently in our group where it's normal for us to still want that even if we don't have necessarily a relationship with those people. It's still ingrained in us as humans to want that connection and to want that support. Right. And that support being not even just simply love and not even just simply connection, but sometimes it is just simply acknowledgement. Yes. Ping! Acknowledgement is huge. That's a huge part. And, you know, in, in my personal mental health journey, that is the key part for me is if people cannot acknowledge where I'm at, or acknowledge what they've done that's impacted me in a, in a negative manner. Without that acknowledgement, there's no moving forward. Absolutely, absolutely. 
And I would say that that's been probably one of the biggest hurdles for me in my current mental health journey. And that is acknowledgement and just seeing not even just the continued lack thereof from, you know, people that are supposed to be the closest to you, but just the, you know, the introduction of us, like, you know, something as simple as TikTok and trying to quit smoking has created something as cool as this, you know, and I just, I find that such a beautiful thing. I do too. And I, I think that that connection, I wonder sometimes if we find it in these ways because of not having a representation of how to make genuine healthy connection. You know, we didn't have that modeled for us. You know, for me personally, I know my mother didn't really have friends. Um, so I didn't know what, like how to socialize or how to make friends because I've never seen it modeled by an adult. Right. Um, I would say that for us too, because, you know, we had the conversation of me personally not having experienced death of the processing of death. And that was because we didn't have anybody. We didn't have any family around. Like we were in a sense isolated from all those that we knew we were moved to different cities and, you know, just anytime something questionable came up, we were moved. And as an adult, that not only makes it more questionable, but for the mental health aspect of it, it's that continued confusion, not only throughout childhood, but into adolescence. Like it is, wow. Like that can just have all kinds of springs going (laughs) crazy. Yeah. Speaking of that specifically, I, as an adult have moved every single year, if not more than once a year. Because we did, we also moved around a lot like that. And I wonder like how those patterns, like I've, I've had a a lot of talks in therapy about where that pattern comes from. And I think it's what you're speaking of. It's that inconsistency as a child and you, you can't wrap your head around. Why do we keep moving? Why can't we just stay somewhere and make friends? And like, why can't we just do this? Like everyone else does. And you never get those questions in that kind of environment. You never get the answers to those questions. I mean, and not even, I would say, because we had moved and we, in the sense of, you know, family since when we were little, and then we, I grew up in a town and finally within elementary, middle and high school, I went to the same school. But by that point, we had been moved around to the point that we found the furthest country point that nobody nobody knew where we were (laughs) you know like it's that even that kind of isolation in itself like thinking back on childhood like we didn't have friends we didn't you know we didn't have those kind of interactions so yeah totally agree that you know maybe it is more interactions coming through tiktok and i know there are other sides of tiktok besides mental talk but those interactions were never taught and as adults we're just we're trying to find those connections yeah were you in public school did you go to like public school with other kids yes so i um know that i don't really remember it but i know that i went to a pre-k kind of situation um and i went to three different elementary schools um 
and then one middle and one high school. Wow. And how do you, how do you feel that kids related to you? Like if there were, and did you ever find any other kids that, that also had some mental health struggles or were you kind of isolated in that, that you didn't really ever get to talk to anyone about it? I would say that once I had reached high school, I had found a couple of people, you know, I, by that time I was the sweaty, grimy, overweight band nerd and, you know, nobody really didn't like me. And then I was the teacher's pet in most of my peers' eyes. So then they triple, double didn't like me. (laughs) Um, so those couple of other grimy, sweaty kids, you know, that little group of us, we had tough homes and we had tough situations. And as an adult, I realized that is trauma bonding. That is, you know, as adults, we don't speak anymore. We have completely different lives. But those connections, I think, is what helped us survive through school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a group that I'm, I had like a solid group of friends once I hit middle school. Because I went, I had a bit of a weird schooling. I went to a private school that I was the only student in my grade. So it was just not very normal situation. But once I was finally around like a solid group of friends that it stayed consistent, there was one friend in that group that I'm still to this day in contact with. She found me again on on TikTok and um, we've been able to you know, interact, but I I think back to those times, and even though we knew we both had issues at home, it was still not something we talked about. It was still stigmatized. It was still not, like, that I could be like, hey, like, this is what's going on until we were much older. I would say we probably had half and half, um... I definitely wasn't one of the kids that talked about it because I was too scared. And there were kids in our group that because they openly talked about theirs and their home situations, and of course it was completely out of anger. They were angry, understandably. Um, But that brought on a whole new side to me that I didn't understand of going from that fear to just anger and to make that switch not only mentally but just how you live your life was scary for me I know it can be empowering for a lot of people but for me personally like it was a manic angry and that is terrifying (laughs) yes if you've ever experienced mania you know it is pretty terrifying I would say that to this day, I still have manic episodes, but they are nowhere near, thankfully, as extreme as they used to be because I understand them more and I understand my triggers more. And I feel like being able to self-identify those things while it was extremely hard, it has helped a lot in my healing journey and with my mental health. Mm -hmm. And when did that journey start? When did you take responsibility for your mental health? For the first time. Call it a year and a half ago. Like, this has been a very 
very recent journey for me. Like, we are still, still within, like, we haven't reached the two-year mark. I'm really proud of you. I'm so proud of you for taking that step because it is terrifying. Accepting that you are contributing to your own misery and that you do indeed have some sense of control over it is a very, very terrifying thing. And I'm really proud of you for taking that step and being honest about when you really took responsibility. It was much later in life for me too. It wasn't until about 2018, 2019 when I was really like, okay, this is my job to take care of and got into therapy and really started doing the work. So it's still very fresh for me as well. Even being this many years in, it feels like it was still yesterday. Right. I'm very, I mean, wow. Kudos to you as well, because that, like you said, that first step and just taking that step in general is so hard to do. But especially when you and we have spent our entire lives being told, in my sense, you know, just pray about it. And in your sense, just deal with it and move on. Like, that that's not a solution. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it it's kind of interesting, my situation, the way it is now, because my sister really was the, the pivotal piece for me. Seeing her take responsibility and do what she needed to do to take care of her very serious mental health was just so eye-opening for me. Uh, you know, I idolized my sister, and and seeing that just further made me, like, idolize her more, which is its own thing. We'll get to another time, but that I don't know that I would have had the strength to do it on my own if my sister hadn't been the first person in our family to take responsibility for her mental health I don't know that I would have ever been able to get on the journey honestly I think I would say the same about my sister as well um she to to watch because there's a 10 year age difference between us Mm -hmm. to watch her struggle but not just struggle to own it yep take it and say you know what I need to do something about this and she did something about it and you know there have been times that she has looked me in my face and been like have you taken your medicine and you know while we may have our differences and whatever like there were times that I needed to hear that and there were times that I needed somebody to look me in my face and give me that tough love yeah yeah, it's really, it's really hard to get there yourself, you know, because when you're kind of in that point, I know at least for me, I'm avoiding the mirror. Like, I'm I'm not going to find myself in the mirror and be like, hey, you know what? We need to cut this out because I'm avoiding it. I'm hiding. So I think it really does take someone else to hold up that mirror for you and be like, look at what you got going on because it's, it's not great and you need to address it. And I really hope that with this podcast, that can be something that we do for people is to be that mirror for them to help them get started on their path. Because everyone I've really talked to, there is always a pivotal moment. It is just a natural progression through life where, I mean, there may be now, you know, with younger generations, their you know their parents grew up teaching them about mental health and paying attention to it. But obviously, for us as millennials, that's not our situation. 
not at all. <laughs> um, yeah. I would say just a further on the mirror tangent of people don't realize how far that mental health switch can go of there was a seven month period that I lived my life that I would not look in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't care how my hair looked. I didn't care how my makeup looked. I didn't look in a little pocket mirror, big mirrors. I covered them. I didn't want to look in them. And why? Because in the morning, I looked most like the person that I hated the most in the world. That I had the most anger with at that point in my life. And that was my father. And I looked like him first thing in the morning. And I let that consume me. It consumed me to the point that I covered mirrors in my house. And that pivotal moment of changing that was realizing one day my son had came and pulled one of those mirrors and I didn't recognize the person I saw in that mirror. Wow. Yeah. So and I, what happened from there? Um... I did not take that well. And it wasn't just a sense of, you know, gaining weight or you didn't look attractive. Like, it wasn't about that. It was when that mirror was exposed. And I was finally, after months, having to look myself in the face, I couldn't handle how bad I had let myself get. I couldn't handle... Because when I looked in that mirror, I just saw that little girl who was crying out for help. I just, you know, you just saw that. And not too long after that, I would say probably either that night or the next night was the night that we were sitting on our back patio. And Jacob was just talking and I couldn't tell you what he said to me. I, I couldn't tell you any conversation, but I know that we were sitting out there. And I remember just looking up at him, and I said, I need to talk to somebody. And he said, what? And I said, Jacob, I need to talk to somebody. And he said, okay. And he pulled up his phone, and he pulled up a contact, and it was for like two days away. And I looked at him, and I said, are we not going to have any more secrets between us? And he said, well yeah and you know he's so confused and I'm just looking at him and I said Jacob I can't wait two days and I think that that moment of accepting that after six years I was having suicidal ideation again and that I had just reached such a low point that that was the where I decided to break the fear of therapy I'm so proud of you It takes a lot to say that. As someone who put themselves in the hospital, that was the most difficult decision I've ever made in my entire life. It is very hard to be honest and to be able to know what level of support you need. And to know that you couldn't wait two days was huge to be able to say that. So good for you. So what about you? Have you had any kind of experience that you would like? Yeah. So, you know, like I said, really seeing my sister, you know, in my teens and my early 20s, I really watched her go through it. 
And at that time, you know, I definitely had a significant amount of difficulty that I was dealing with. I was undiagnosed with several, (laughs) several things that I've now thankfully been able to be able to be treated properly for. But I was relatively okay because I was social. I had a social network and I was just very busy. I was a student athlete as well as working So I just stayed busy all the time. And then right out of school, I went into school and was working full time. So I really wasn't, I was kind of like not looking in the mirror of life, you know, not really understanding where I was at. And then seeing my sister struggle was kind of another point of sort of showing me places in my life where I was struggling and things that I needed to take care of. And that just kind of carried on for you know, a few years until I really buckled down and, you know, she was in a much healthier place and I had been able to see her go from such a horrid place to living her dream life. And to be able to see that, it gave me trust that I can do it too and that it's okay to face these things. I love that. Teaching that mindset because... That's the other side of that conversation that people don't like to have is that your mindset has a lot to do with just that internal dialogue of, you know what, I can do this and I am worth the effort that it takes to put forward to do this. So I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for that. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's certainly been a really difficult thing, especially being undiagnosed and, and getting minimal treatment for just an anxiety disorder, when in reality, I am bipolar and autistic, as well as having a severe trauma history. You know, so when I first got into treatment, it was just talk therapy. And though it helped me tremendously, because I was having crisis after crisis after crisis, it was that support, it was the intervention of acute crisis. But it never really got to my problems. It never really helped me learn new ways and unlearn the ways I was already living. That really came from community. That came from learning and talking with other people. And for me at that point, that was on Instagram. I had a different community for TikTok. Um, And so I, I do really think a lot of change comes from being able to see other people and, you know, that can be a huge benefit of group therapy, which I've not been a part of, but I can see the benefits of it because right. like, even just having this conversation with you, so many things are popping up in the background for me, as I'm sure they are for you. And it's just like, oh, yeah, maybe I could address that a little bit or oh, I could adapt some of those mindsets that, that people are talking about. And I think that that's kind of where a lot of my growth has come from and now being able to have more targeted therapies i have a somatic therapist as well as i have a couples therapist who does a couple of other therapies that are not just talk or dbt it's a practical application and just actually learning what i'm feeling (laughs) and being able to identify And the identification process of emotions alone, especially when we were never 
taught them. Like, I had no idea what anything besides fear, anger, and sadness truly felt like. And yeah, and even now, you know, we have the conversation that we just, this still just doesn't feel real. And I think that's because we're still learning about happiness and we're still learning about joy and we're still learning about accepting not only ourselves but being open to the idea of trusting somebody else enough to make something like this happen yeah it's honestly it's taken a lot of mental work to accept that you are a genuine person that wants good for me and we met on the internet you know, and I, I think that does come from our, our childhood a little bit because I don't know about you, but I was bullied and I was treated badly at home for having friends on the internet. I was like, those are not real people. Those are not your friends. And so that really has stuck with me. And, and it is like, it is a constant thing, you know, even as you're sitting here recording, like, like, looking around, like, this is actually set up. Like, we're set up. We're doing this. Yes. And it still somewhat doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. Like, we're just having a conversation and nothing's going to come of it is sort of what it feels like. Right. I understand that completely. Yeah. But, I mean, it it will only go as far as we make it go. But, you know, it, it still has that potential to be something. And I think potential is something people like us struggle to recognize and that comes from the conversation we had the other day about not planning for our futures yes because we never felt like there was hope for a future and um you know as two people who used to self-harm you know like we were we were we were kind of gonna do it to ourselves like you know, we it, we had no plans. We had no intentions. I didn't think I was going to be here at this age. I did not. I, I tell you, on my 30th birthday, it was a trip. <laughs> it was so many emotions because genuinely, the just the thought of being an adult and actually living a life knowing now, like, my life isn't is gonna look a lot different than what my peers' life looks like because I'm disabled, but I still have a future now. And if you would have told me at 14 that I would be in my own apartment, you know, in a stable, healthy relationship, <laughs> no, I would not believe you. I'd be like, no. I'm not even here. And if I'm here, I'm a mutilated, ugly piece of crap. And that's it. And I'm just barely surviving. And that is exactly what I thought my life would look like. It would be my childhood forever. I can relate to that so much. And just feeling like it was never going to change. And that it was just going to be this continuous loop of just violence and violence violence and sadness you know it just it's hard to to see past that and while I am so grateful so grateful to have 
a lot of people in my life that don't understand that, that don't understand this lingo. They don't understand how it feels. And I'm so glad, so glad. But in the same sense, it is so frustrating and it may, it's, it's isolating. Yes. It's very isolating. I agree with that. Like it, it just feels like no one is really ever on your level. Yes, and that seems to be a constant theme. Um, my husband is very much the sound of reason in the relationship, so I know if he agrees with me, then I'm right. Mm-hmm. If I any hesitation in his voice, then I start self, you know, like, am I, did I do something? Do I need to change something around this conversation? Um, but a common theme with me that I continuously present to him is, Anytime I have a conversation with somebody, especially about my past or about experiences or just the way that I view the world, I don't understand. That's how it always ends. Well, I just, I don't understand. And then I get frustrated of not knowing how to further explain. Like, I just poured my heart out to you. Like, how much more explanation could you need? Yeah. And... I hear this phrase used a lot. I think it does have a bit of truth, especially in in this situation, is people can only meet you as far as they bond with themselves. Yes. And I suspect that a lot of the people who don't understand haven't had to do that deep self-reflection and have to really go internal and look at themselves and, and think about, behavior in that way I don't think people I think it is about behavior I think parts of it are like we think about behavior we think about how our actions and how everything we do is going to affect other people right and obviously that comes comes with some of the trauma and everything but I think that that is kind of an aspect that I find that people who don't understand me lack Right. Um, I would say that that was a hard step of that self-identification for me as well, of just having that realization that maybe they just don't understand because of X, Y, Z. And while it's biting your tongue, you know, the concept of just pick your battles and take that deep breath and just let it be what it is. Cause sometimes and we had this conversation this morning, like you have to be okay with the fact that sometimes it's just not okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not, you're not going to find a silver lining in every situation. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be positive. You're not always going to have the bright side of life. You know, your rose colored glasses on. That's not always what it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think the a key part is not staying there, not succumbing to that and wallowing. And that is somewhere I got stuck for so long. Same. I, that was probably, I have experienced multiple forms of anxiety, depression, just you name it. Probably you had a little bit of it somewhere in the mix, but postpartum depression was 
that was a black hole that almost consumed me in a very just just wow that was such a dark time for us and i say for us because jake that was very much my husband's life you know like yeah he was very much here living it and thank god that he decided to be a partner and to be a parent because by that point we had a kid involved and you know it just there are so many people who have left and i was just waiting for him to leave too and even now there's some days that i'm just like are you please just let me know if you're gonna leave like let me know if you find somebody else like just give me a heads up (laughs) yeah give me some time to process yes Yeah, I can relate to that myself. And I just want to give you huge props because postpartum is not anything light. I have seen some people go through that and it it literally was the darkest parts of their life. It is not something that should be taken lightly. And I really think something that we'll have to talk more about on another episode because it really deserves its own episode. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Thinking about like immediately when you said it, the first thing I started thinking about is like, well, yeah, your whole spirit was disrupted. You had a whole nother spirit inside of you and gave life to a whole nother human being. Like okay, that is not messed up. And that is the whole other conversation that people don't like to have of okay, especially down here in the Bible belt. Yeah. We can talk all day long about how Jesus, you know, healed the blind and he healed the sick, but we can't talk about the fact that he had an out-of-body experience during labor. Yeah. <laughs> like how it doesn't make sense. Um, but yeah, just people don't talk about it, especially down here, but I know it's a widely, you know, not talked about, um, with just the things that you not only put your body through, but that you put your mind through. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, we'll have to have a whole other separate. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And and I would love to like really focus on like ways to support because I know for me, I felt helpless. Like I knew what was going on, and I could I could tell the person, "Hey, this is what you're going through," but they were not having it until you know they finally realized but I just really want to identify for you like damn good for you for recognizing because I know a lot of women go through that a lot of a lot of people who give birth go through that and they don't they have no idea that that's what they're experiencing yeah it's wow and it's crazy when you think back like on any traumatic experience like that because there's a labor is traumatic I Absolutely. can hear it in the comments now. Yes, labor is dramatic. <laughs> it's not. You will be deleted. You will be deleted. <laughs> um, just any traumatic experience. Like we had a really bad car accident when I was 12 years old. Yeah. And, you know, the trauma from sitting in blood, from hearing those screams, from, you know, just. Yep. I can tell you the smells. I can still tell you the smells. And what times they came in, you know, but I can't tell you what I ate for breakfast last week. <laughs> well, <laughs> superpowers. 
Yeah, like, what kind of weird superpowers did we obtain? (laughs) But that's the conversation of just how mental health and how those experiences and those upbringings can affect not only your health, but your memory and your, you know, Mm -hmm. like, my short-term memory is awful. It's awful. Yeah, speaking, yeah, like, let's talk about that. Like, does this directly it revolves right into chronic illness because I'm on that, that plate as well. You know, I have several things going on <clears throat> that cause me to be chronically ill. And I know, and studies have started to start to imply, you know, how this, you know, I'm stammering <laughs> the body the body transmutes it, you know, that there, there's plenty of books out there that, that talk about it. I'm not going to name the one that everyone has controversy over, but there are plenty of other books that you can read that will tell you how much trauma is stored in the body. And so now like, you know, with the amount of stuff I went through in my childhood, I, well, I've always been disabled, didn't know it, but always have been, but physically became disabled in my twenties. Right. That is a very early time. Even even with the genetic disease that I have, which is adrenal leukodystrophy, and the, you know, I've obviously always had this, and and it does start to manifest in the twenties. But I I truly do not believe I would be this progressed, and I would not be a biddy if I did not go through the amount of trauma I went through as a child same and you know down here I don't know how widely spread but in the south you know it's oh you're an old soul and you know okay well I don't no 12 year old should be that old of an old soul like no no preteen no child at 27 years old I should not be or I guess I guess I should but you know I, I definitely wouldn't be as forward thinking and is instead in who I am if I hadn't have gone through those things. So I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. It really cements you for the rest of your life. It, it really does kind of put just like a little, little mark down and be like, this is kind of, you're not going to be able to thrive as much anymore. And, and not only is that mentally, like you're saying, but physically the, those things will just, keep causing you ailments the further you ignore them well and the physical side of it just to get in a deeper aspect of it when I had finally started therapy one of the conversations that we had was anytime because then it was almost like my body like I lost control my emotions would get so high and I wouldn't know what to do with them that my my skin would feel too tight and I even have, I still have moments of my skin feels too tight and there's nothing else for it to do besides go into a manic episode and then you end up just self-encasing or I end up self-encasing and what leads out of that? Nailing. Then you start nailing yourself and then, you know, you're trying to rip your skin off because you just feel so like you're about to explode Mm -hmm. people I don't know if it's 
I don't know if I've just gone through so much that I just don't find it embarrassing to talk about, or if at this point I'm just so traumatized that what is the internet going to tell me? <laughs> hurt my feelings worse than I hurt my feelings. Like, who's going to hurt me more than me? So, you know, like, why not talk about it? Why not talk about the fact that three days ago... I was having such a bad mental health day that I was having to just find something to do because I was having rough thoughts and rough thoughts turned into a manic episode that night. It did. But Mm -hmm. you have to find those ways, whether it's therapy, medication, talking to a friend, coloring, a hobby, whatever it is, you have got to find that outlet to pull you back into reality. Yeah. And over the past couple of days, like I know I've seen you painting, I've seen you playing piano. Like what what are the types of things that you have found that in that time because you're not going to be, you know, running a marathon or probably thinking about our podcast when you're in that. So like what are some of the things that you found that you can do with yourself to stay kind of centered but Um, so I would say first and foremost, I always tend to gravitate to a quiet space because Mm -hmm. it is too, it's too crowded up here. I don't need it crowded here. So I have to find a quiet space and here lately that's been my upstairs bathroom. Just shut the door and I can just sit on the ground. And when I sit on the ground, I always make sure that my legs are straight not, you know, we don't want to lock our knees, but I always make sure that my legs are straight and I cross my arms. And the reason why I do that is because it makes me, instead of fisting, I will hug myself. And then that helps me regulate my breathing. Yep. So I would say finding that quiet space and just regulating your breathing is the first place to start. Mm-hmm. I am definitely a bathroom because the bathroom floor is the coldest in the house usually. And so, me, I put, I'll rip, so if I have socks on, rip those off, I put my feet on the floor, and I put my palms on the floor, and I regulate my breathing. That is, um, on the opposite side of it, on the health spectrum, I do that for my blood pressure. Yeah. Just described as when my blood pressure, I will literally, I'll just sit, and I will, my hands and my feet, I will look like a weird little crab. Yeah. <laughs> Just squatting, trying to regulate my body temperature. Yep. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. I've also been known in, in severe overwhelm. I will I will go in a closet, and I will close myself in the closet. I'm not super proud of that fact. And uh, it's been pretty it, – it feels really un- – very childish sometimes when you know I'm avoiding my partner by hiding in the closet but honestly it's the safest thing for me and you know as someone who has previously self-harmed if I can go from self-harming to just hiding in a closet I'll take that as a win (laughs) that is problem if I am someone who self-harmed can go to hiding in a closet I will take that as a win that is probably the most profound thing I have ever heard. That is awesome. That is awesome. Because also as somebody who self-harms, like if I, if you think about it that way, like that's the first time, that's why I can't stop smiling. Like that, that's the first time I've ever thought about it like that. Like as somebody who used to self-harm, if I can, if now my response is to go cry in the bathroom, 
That's a win. Wow. Like, that is such a major step. Like, wow. Yeah. And just looking at it like that has helped me a lot with the shameful thoughts of how I do choose to cope. Because I have a lot of very unhealthy coping skills. So, you know, with that comes shame. But then, you know, some of some of these other ways, like I I'm a self soother because I would, you know, I was neglected. And so there will be times where I will age regress and I will literally just like have to just self soothe. And, and I just, you know, if you ever see me doing this, I am stressed out. <laughs> so the age regression that is, I have found to be such a sensitive topic for so many people and I can completely understand why because there are some more extreme cases than others mm-hmm. but I have even found through self-reflection like this morning I had a total like age regression more moment that like two years ago I wouldn't have been able to self-identify but yeah now can. <coughs> excuse me and that was getting excited Melanie's <laughs> Melanie's uh live and I was trying to explain to Jacob, like, hey, this is, you know, this is who this is, and this is Alice, and this is who I was trying to explain. And then I realized he was on FaceTime with his mother. I love my mother-in-law. We have a great relationship, but she has never seen me get just, like, excited Ex- and almost stimming, and it embarrassed me. And instantly, I shut down. And, like, I turned around and just started gathering my stuff and was going to go downstairs. And Jacob was like, well, what's wrong? And I was just mopey and just pouty. And, you know, I was just walking around like a hurt little four-year-old. Like, yeah. And it took me probably 30 minutes to be able to talk to him of, number one, why didn't you tell me you were on live, like, on FaceTime? And I'm embarrassed, like, so to be able to have that conversation and that communication, which we didn't have, like, we did not used to be able to communicate like this. So to have finally reached a point where I can even voice what I'm thinking and feeling has been such a major step. Yeah, I have to say being, being able to have a partner that you can verbalize those things and even still not be fully sure yourself but still be met with compassion is like it just changes everything honestly it makes things feel possible and still in a way not real yeah like there's that side of us that just waits for them to leave like when is enough like when is enough gonna be enough for you (laughs) yeah i i have such severe abandonment issues like this morning um so sam took the bus back so i could have the car and i walked into the bus stop and literally just sitting there at the bus stop i was having separation anxiety and he wasn't even gone yet and that like so any time that we're not together my brain is telling me that he's dead he's dead or he's going to leave me Right. It's always that extreme, like, just that anxiety sparks that extreme side of us. And it's not even just an extreme side. It's extreme reactions. Extreme. Yes. Yeah, very reactionary. You're right. 
Yeah, and I would say that's probably for most of the people that I know that I've even just separated myself from has been because they couldn't regulate them th- those things for themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I felt like I was above because I had reached a point where I could. It's because my mental health couldn't afford to be around that. Because truly you are what you hang around. You are what you hear. Yeah, I think that is a huge misconception that I would love for us to be able to start to break is that you think that you're more healed than other people or that you're better than them. That was what I've gotten so much in my family is that I think I'm better than everyone. And it has nothing to do with that. If I could have them all in my life, I would. I want them there. But I was able to identify that their actions that they refused to, one, acknowledge, and two, do anything about were literally harming me. Yes. And not even, people think that it has to be an action. It doesn't always have to be an action. While there are very many circumstances like that, but a lot of times it's just, it's the verbiage. It's the conversation and it's the lack thereof. Honestly, I've, I've said this to Sam before, and it, I don't worry as much about people's intentional harm. I worry about people's unintentional harm. And I feel like that's what you were just speaking to. Yeah. It's just, and, and for me as well, like the neglect, that's, that's the biggest hurtful piece is the lack of action, the lack of conversation you know if someone can't just bring up to me and be like hey like can we talk about this can we have like a a good conversation a deep conversation about it honestly I don't have any use for that person in my life because I cannot have a healthy relationship without the other person being able to do that as well right and it's not easy no, not by any means is it easy. And that very much goes hand in hand with the conversation we had about two-way relationships and how (laughs) our personality types tend to just give and give and give until there is absolutely nothing left of us. And then when you finally decide to take a stand for yourself and you're like, you know what, I need to stay home and nap. And, you know, if anybody needs me, y'all know where I'm at. And then a month later, you still haven't heard from anybody. Yes. I've experienced that many times in my life. Yes. But I did, in my studies recently, one quote that was shared with us was, after me, anybody can be first. Yeah. And I think that's that's something I'm definitely going to adapt and just try to really keep in the focus because that's something I have severely struggled with is to, to take care of myself first so that I can take care of other people so I can be there so I can show up today like what did you do today to take care of yourself so that you could be here with me right now um <laughs> I brushed my teeth I usually don't brush my teeth in the morning and a lot of people are going to think that's gross but I usually don't brush my teeth until noon because First thing in the morning, I have a really weird sensory thing with my mouth. And if mm-hmm. I brush my teeth, then I double can't eat. I double can't drink. So then my normal lunch is going to be pushed back to supper. Yep. 
So we go through our morning routine and then we brush our teeth. <laughs> so I brushed my teeth and I got dressed. I took a shower. I got dressed. Like this is the first, when have you honestly seen me not in a t-shirt? <laughs> when have you not seen me in my hoodie? <laughs> fair right like if anything if we're the only two that watch this if our significant others are the only two that give us a view out of this we're doing this for us and I think that that's what I feel like is so important to pull out of this mm -hmm. you know just even at the beginning with us laughing and getting started like okay if it's the end of the world we can edit it out you know like yeah. it's not let's just do it let's do it for us that was so helpful too that you're like no just keep going like it's fine just keep going and and that really helped me to not like because at first i was literally like i don't know what to say <laughs> literally, i feel like that's the kind of thing you know that how we stay to being true to us and showing yeah. that okay well despite having fears and there are moments where I freeze. So there, I can guarantee you that we are not going to get through this without me freezing and stuttering, and it's going to happen. Um, yeah. Especially depending on the topic and what we've got going on. Because personally, for me, accents get worse when I'm worked up and stuttering. I didn't realize when I was younger that I actually have a stutter. And it yeah. only... And I feel like I didn't acknowledge it because so many people were like, well, no, you don't because you speak well. And I'm like, okay, that I understand that. But if you get me worked up and if I get super emotional or I will get stuck in a stutter. So I don't know what the technical name is for that, but that's a whole other thing that I have fought my entire life. Yeah, that's actually a very big reason that I've been scared to do this is, and I, I feel like, do you ever feel like your mouth just won't do what it's supposed to do to say the words? A lot of times I feel like my mouth can't keep up with what's going on in my head. Yes. Yeah, it's like the muscles in my face and my mouth and my voice and everything, they are too slow for how fast my brain is processing. And that's that's where I tend to get tr tripped up. Yes, I would say that that's where a lot of mine comes from as well, because just in this last three seconds, you know, you, you had mentioned something and my brain went, ooh, 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 and I thought of something six years down the road from now that might affiliate, like it's, you know, our brains are processing things at such a faster pace than those around us that it it's, it's all trying to come out and it can't. Yeah. And I feel like just having somebody that you can have these conversations with and that the acknowledgement, <laughs> you know, just having somebody that understands, I feel like has been, that side of TikTok has been just life changing for me. Yeah, me too. Uh, growing up, like, I really did not have representation. And to finally meet people who are adults who yeah. don't brush their teeth in the morning, yeah. you know, like, that's, that's something I've been, you know, I don't brush my teeth at night. Like, you know, like, I have issues with brushing my teeth. I had to teach myself, how, like, 
you have to do these things for yourself because you matter. You deserve to get to brush your teeth. You just, you deserve to put cuticle cream on. Like I really didn't know those things. And to now finally that honestly, like I do not believe there's another social media platform that would have allowed that vulnerability other than TikTok. People are so much more vulnerable on there and people are just being real and being themselves. Of course, there are content creators. There's this and that on there. There's actors. There's tons of people on there doing all different kinds of things. But when we really get down to like mental health talk, the, the core of mine is real people. I do follow professionals. Absolutely. But the core of the people that have helped me to learn and to have representation are just real people sharing their real story. Yes, and I would say very much um, not only just like the real people aspect of it, but real people sharing real life experiences and sometimes even in time. The fact that there was a creator, I can't remember who it is, but I remember she documented every day for like three months her mental health and just how she woke up and like who she felt like that day she didn't have um personalities or anything but just like how she felt when she woke up and yeah um, how she was going to perceive the day right and through that three-month period just through those couple of second little videos it was mind-blowing just even the physical transformation that she went through from those negatives to those positives yeah it's crazy and that that tells you right there like we were talking before how connected the mind and the body are like your physical health is going to be dictated by your mental health and vice versa you know if you're not taking very good care of your physical body your mental health is going to suffer as well one of my favorite things that my therapist ever told me was especially when I would get in those super like manicky phases to just keep telling myself it's not me it's my nervous system yeah because we had that whole conversation about the body storing trauma and like she was the first person to call it a year and a half ago that introduced that to me that the body can store trauma and how it stores it and how it can come out because at that point in my life there would be some nights I wouldn't lay in the bed with my husband because my self-esteem was so low that I felt like I deserved to lay on the floor. Like, I would make a pallet on the floor next to our bed. Oh, it was so past that. Yeah, totally got past that. We worked on us. Um, but that came from a spot of just how I was made to feel growing up. In certain situations, you know, when we got to the root of it in our therapy sessions, the nights that I would sleep under my bed because that's where I felt safe. Uh So that's where it came from. Just us, not even the fact that me and Jacob had issues. It was the fact that I was so worked up within myself that I didn't feel like I deserved to lay next to him. Yeah. I'm really proud of you for being vulnerable and talking about that oh thank you i um definitely at the time you know in the time too soon (laughs) absolutely yes so much easier to talk about things after you've experienced them and gotten through them yes sometimes it's just too soon too soon (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Well, what um, piece of advice would you want out of any and every wild topic that we have talked about today? What is the biggest piece of advice that you hope somebody takes away from this if they watch it? I think for me, for today's episode, the biggest piece that I would like people to take away is that you can start at any time. What about you? <laughs> that goes back to our conversation from this morning from Melanie's live. There is no yeah. perfect time. There is no perfect time. And I would say the same. Just to touch off of that same piece of advice, um, take me and Alice as example. Like we, this has been what? Call it three weeks in the works. Mm-hmm. This is this has happened so quickly, and not even the relationship has built quickly, and this work. Editing Alice here. Sorry about the ending of this episode. We had some technical difficulties with our first recording, but we are working it out and we hope to see you at the next one.